Welcome, everybody, uh, to Moscow Mules and Knob Slides. I stopped saying episode whatever because I just include it in the thing. Plus, if we do some out of order, then I don't want to have to go and edit it out. So, Are you cutting this? No, I'm not going to cut this. I'm just telling everybody <laughs> when I don't say episode anymore. But uh, Okay, so we're on, like, that's over. We're, like, we're, we're, near, over. we're near 30. We're like I thought 29. you said you weren't going to do that anymore. Uh, yeah, we're not. Now you're, we're, now you're doing we're, it. We're, we're somewhere near there. Um, I'll probably cut that out. Who knows? Maybe not. Let's let it flow. But I'm uh, one of your hosts, Kyle, and I'm I'm uh, I'm David. Hello, Kyle. And uh, our steam guest of the week is Dan. All the way, it's our first transatlantic. That's right. We just decided this before this podcast. First transatlantic, all the way from Germany. Dan, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Great. If there's uh, one, I mean, I could not imagine ever talking to somebody outside of the Pittsburgh area on this podcast. And here we are with uh, Mr. Dan in Germany. In Germany. That's and exciting. That I've never met Dan in his uh, home country. I met Dan in Canada. <laughs> so all yeah, not even in the U.S. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, and not I even think, the U.S. in Canada. Yeah. I, I feel like you're either going to know people either through like Vegas and Black Hat or DEF CON or, you know, just like I met somebody at a conference somewhere else that's not in my city. That's pretty much, I, 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 unless I work with them, right? And then, you know. I think I, I think I meet people in like three places, Pittsburgh, Geek Week, and like Las Vegas. That's it. So like Ottawa, Pittsburgh, and like, that's it. That's all the way I meet, where I meet people. That's all you need. That's a good bit of people. I mean, I've spent weeks with dan i mean we have, we've only worked one project together anyways with dan and i met geek week up in ottawa <laughs> you listen for the first time this is a podcast this is about where we talk with cybersecurity and technical professionals uh over a few drinks um but uh you know we can get into how we all met but as dan as the guest of the week and it is actually your nighttime there what are you sipping on this fine fine evening can i interrupt real fast like what time yeah. is it there it's 9 p.m oh man did you did, so feel like you've been you've been uh as soon as work ended on Friday? I don't know what your work week's like. I don't know anything about European culture except for like the Spanish people like to take naps. That's what I read. Well, someone told me about siestas once. What do you do you like start drinking as soon as I mean, can you? I don't even know if you drink. This is very <laughs> presumptive of me. Maybe I'll just let you go and then I'll circle back. Really sorry. Yeah. Much apologies. Yeah, so it's uh suddenly way past my usual uh Friday already. So, Wait, like you're in bed? You're in bed by nine o'clock? No, I'm not not in bed, but I've stopped working at this time. Oh, sure. okay. What? <laughs> what well, I would have. Oh, stopped. you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh would have no stopped. Worries, oh, no sorry. worries. <laughs> <laughs> and I had basically three choices on what I could go for drinks today, and that would be either beer or gin or whiskey. And then I thought, okay, since I'm the first German representative, I should go with beer, I guess. And I even picked a German one in this case, which is a regular beer manufacturer, Simcoe 3. Simcoe 3. Yes, so and true. what they basically have, the numbers basically indicate, I think, the color of the beers. So the lower ones are the, um, the lighter ones, and the um, higher ones are the darker ones. Oh, how's and it go? This is a dry hot IPA, basically. Oh man! I, so uh, another presumptive thing for me, like I figured, German uh, the the German breweries are just throwing out like loggers, like all day. It's just like <laughs> pilsners and all. You're 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 getting your Czech pilsners from across the borders, and then you're just brewing like Dunkels and Oktoberfests all year long, and that's not true. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So um, I think while the whole craft beer stuff started 
over in your country, it has been exploded over here in the last five to ten years as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, I would and never thought you would say I'm drinking an IPA. So that's actually I'm oh no, not a chance that as well. Would so. not have guessed that at all. <laughs> so um, me personally, I, I definitely like IPAs a lot. I also like um, sour and fruity beers. Oh okay. yeah, that's yeah. And same. What we've been doing. Several times I said we went to uh, beer festivals, both in the Netherlands and Belgium. Oh. So, for example, there's the Alvine Festival, which is a pure sour beer festival. And you have, like, I don't know, 40, 50 different uh, little places where you can buy individual beers with every fruit you can probably imagine. Some of them have, have been aging for several years even. And they are Sounds more or less well. almost like vinegar. But it's super complex in taste, so it's it's totally amazing. Yeah, but yeah, if you're in the sour beer stuff, like you're gonna, you really want that vinegary, like real, uh, I don't know, tart. You want that tartness, the yeah. acidity. Yeah. So, do you get a lot of like the like the Belgian stuff from across the border, uh, like with like the uh, West 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 Flatteren? Am I saying that right? We just call it, I call it Westy. We call it like mm. the Westy, and the numbers, you know, you get the numbers. But like, you can get it fresh over here. We're either smuggling it back. <laughs> or uh you know you, you have to go all the way to belgium yeah that sort of so stuff we, like we definitely have um special beer shops that basically import um their choice of um top craft beers i'd say um but among my colleagues are some more beer crazy people that even uh, went to some of the monasteries because um sometimes they only sell to people that come pick up the beer there and they did these kinds of trips there and you would also, for example, only get a single crate. So um, they try to limit the circulation of their stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. You do the same thing so, here in the States. Oh, like where you, some places you have to pick it up and they'll limit to you. If there's like a special release, you can only get two, four packs of 16 ounce on how much is 16 ounce. In late, but our late stuff's late. coming from like a, a brewery and not like a, a, you know, a monastery <laughs> out in Belgium. It's like it's, it feels a little bit weird. You're like, I don't know. To me, like a lot of the stuff that, that comes from like the Trappist monk, you know, style it isn't exactly on par with, you know, a, a slushy beer out here in America. I don't know. It feels a lot different, but like it's it's the same limit on the releases. Just I mean, that's a very nice point by Kyle. Did um did you I don't know. I wanted to talk a lot about Oktoberfest, but I, I don't know. I don't know if that's also just one of those German things that I'm I'm asking about incorrectly like do you so, what when when is oktoberfest can i come back in 2021 if i wanted to do you know anything about it have you ever been uh so first off i've never been so uh, while i've been a couple times in munich um i've never been to the actual oktoberfest during the time is it in munich like proper i guess yes, everywhere okay. around so i guess basically all of the bigger breweries in munich will have their own uh, oktoberfest sale so the tents which, which are huge tents um, at the time. Um, but you, I think it's overcrowded, massively overcrowded, and probably also overpriced. So um, going to Munich every other time of the year, the only thing you might miss out on is the uh, special beer that they produce for the season. But um, even then, if you go to the um, breweries themselves, which oftentimes have um, good restaurants as well, um, that you will have also live bands playing there on basically all days as well so there's uh, not that many reasons to go for oktoberfest unless you want to be stuck with many many people 
but it's I'm, I guess I'm, it's it's I'm less I feel like, parties. I, I like, I feel like it's a crowd. Yeah, I'm, no one likes a super crowded place. And I've seen pictures like of online of it. I'm assuming that it's October. It doesn't look that fun being slammed in a tent with a shit ton of other people. You can do that in America. Like we have places yeah. in Pittsburgh. Um, oh, what the hell is it called? Penn Brewery has an Oktoberfest and that's like slammed to people you know that, i mean hofbrauhaus don't band. they do it too oh hofbrauhaus is a shit show here in america that's <laughs> just especially in like a you know you put it in the south side in pittsburgh it's like a big college area so all the kids yeah, are okay. coming down for like cheap beer in like um, huge steins, boots, boots yeah. and steins. do you have a boot do you have a dos boot is that like a thing in germany also uh you drink out of the glass you drink out of the glass boot uh it's a thing in you can do that. So, um, like when I was younger, <laughs> see, hold on here. I just want to see, like that. That's like a, like a, a you know, uh, uh, what, what is the, even the word for this? Like, uh, um, God, you have to cut. The, you're gonna have to cut this, Kyle, out. Like, no, I'm not cutting. I it. can't think of the right word for it, but like, there's, there's, uh, cultural perception. I think is what I'm looking for. That like, <laughs> when you guys are over drinking out in Germany, that you're drinking out of this big glass boot. Well, you're it's like a liter and a half right and you're just yeah. you're just slamming pilsner all day in this boot you're just walking around the streets and cows over there laughing I, I don't that must be your perception i don't know <laughs> i'm doing it wrong it's working differently so it's actually a drinking game out so, of the boot yes so you would um have the boot go around in a circle and you always have to basically drink the way that uh, the boot is i think pointing down because if you then empty it, basically it can spill over. And whoever um, empties the boot has to buy the next boot. Oh my God. Uh, well, not in 2020. So that's. Thing. No, not this year. No. <laughs> that, that one <laughs> has not a COVID friendly uh, game. That game might be over. <laughs> so I know when I was in Germany, uh, the 2012, I was in Berlin. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, I swear to God, this was the thing. They would mix Pilsner with like 7 Up or Sprite. Or Pilsner with like orange soda. Is that a thing? That's is that a drink? Okay. Pretty normal. So what you're describing uh, has even different names depending on the region on you are in Germany. Oh, so wow. um, the most common over here would be Radler, which basically just means you take a Pilsner and then um, do half and half with either Sprite or Fanta or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. So that's, that's super common, especially in the summer, because it allows you to um, basically drink more drinks. <laughs> because it lowers the alcohol and it's um and if, if the person is not that not that high of a quality it's might even um improve the experience of, of drinking it i guess yeah those german people are ingenious i remember that we i mean I, been, when, I, I drank a bunch of those and then ate a lot of schnitzel for sure but but then you did not have uh, berliner weisse in berlin right what's that berliner uh, weisse I probably did. I tried a bunch of different things. So, so did you have a beer that was basically more or less green? No. Because um, there's a chance that you could have bought it with um, Waldmeister, for example. So I don't even know what the English word for that is. I'm not sure either. Yeah, so basically um, they flavor their lagers with, um, I think you could also buy a cherry, for example. Oh, okay. So the like, basic okay. one is, is rather flat, and then you get this this flavor stuff on top. Huh. <laughs> but that's <laughs> heresy. We don't do that in, in <laughs> around the area where I live. So, so you're saying the craft beer scene that was is like jumping in Germany? Yes, massively, and that's that's really cool. Um, so even my my group of colleagues at work, we've been brewing ourselves. 
at a couple occasions and in very very small batches so it's um i think we have normally we'd use that um thing to heat up fruits to make jam yeah or marmalade and we have been using it to brew beer it's basically a big kettle right like, yeah exactly but not so, even like a proper group uh brew kettle but it's just like the big pot sort of yeah. thing yeah so that's uh 30 liters at a time for example Ooh. and then split that across the people that have basically participated in that effort God, I just want to like keep talking about like we don't have to talk about cyber like things at all. I just want to, <laughs> I just want to talk about any any other German myths that you want to bust. Uh, me, me or him? I don't know. Oh, you? Because I'm I'm the one messing up. I think. Why don't Why don't you? Well, Dan, real quick, the, the, you had a Simcoe that was three. You Simcoe said like the, the the higher ones go darker. Like, what number do they go to? Like, what's the highest number they go to? Oh, it has to be close to 100. So that's oh, even called, shit. I think, Nocturnus. But that's not the alcohol. That's, um, I can't right. This is a type of look. beer, but like they have 100 different types of beer. That's insane. Uh, no, no, no. They, they jump in the. Oh, okay. In okay. The probably, it's probably the IBUs. It's probably the bitterness, yes. I would guess, if I had to. Uh, so the Noctus is, is basically a black Irish ale. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, that's more or less a start as well. Yeah, where where even the foam would be close to black. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> That's gross. That's not for me. I'm not that kind of a stout guy. David, you want to go next? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll, I mean, this is going to be just. I don't know if they have things like this in Germany. I'm going to oh, guess no. You know, here we go. <laughs> do you guys have to like? So this is a dessert sour. You you y'all y'all doing stuff like that out there yet? So at the beer festivals, you could have vanilla flavored fruit beers and stouts as well so that probably yeah. would go but then you probably have a lot of alcohol in that as well or it, well stuff's going pretty crazy over here so let, okay. let me just read so this is a seven i think this is a seven percent beer and i i got a headache off this last night because <laughs> i don't drink know. enough is it seven percent it doesn't even have an abv on it hold on hold on anyway uh uh yeah seven percent there it is this is from a, a little brewery near uh kyle and I. it's called grist house and they brewed it with somebody called Henry and Fran Brewing Company. I don't know where that is, but I'll look it up. Uh, it's the Double Berry Eclipse Dessert Sour. And it has, uh, it's a sour ale brewed with raspberry, strawberry, vanilla, milk sugar, and chocolate sandwich cookies that I'm guessing means Oreos. But they won't say it because they didn't get a license. Trademark. <laughs> so. What's it look like? Uh, it's p like pink. Hold on. Let me, okay. hold, let me hold it up. All right. Yeah. Wow. Is it light? Is it light and okay? It's kind of pinkish. Yeah, but not thick. No, it's, it's not thick. Of... It it it's completely a different color than I thought it was going to be when I poured it last night. It looks kind of like a um like a pink lemonade to me. But it's and pretty. What... It's pretty tasty. I enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to uh, drink one today. What uh glass are you drinking? Oh, now? my glassware. I got this. Uh, I don't buy Hop Killer stuff. Um, Hopkillers.com. I don't buy their stuff, but I bought this one, the uh, Mario Evil Mushroom Poison Mushroom Glass, which is just I, I love the artwork on this and i think it looks really awesome with like purple or pink beers in my glass so you hear what happened with those glasses no which ones the, the mario one that that one so he he pulled the design real quick off the website because he was worried about uh like copyright infringement oh i would be too that's it's fucking mario <laughs> right like like a lot of the other ones do it like it looks a little bit different they like you know yeah, modify no, it somewhat but it's a straight up like here. that's mario just, uh, and he was worried. I saw like I'm awesome. on his page, and I was like, "Oh man, 
I love the art on this one. Like I said, this is my first and I think only Hop Killer's left so far. And I, I really enjoyed um, what he did with the design here. Especially because it's not like I went to the internet and I Google searched like Mario Piranha Plants plus Mushroom. And then I slapped like a cut and paste of a uh, a hop on it. Like he actually like, it looks like he drew this and had it sent to the printer. So awesome. Yeah, uh, I like it. All right. Uh, over to you. I'll stop talking. Speaking of printer, we should be getting our glasses. Oh, speaking of glasses. Hey, can we ship glasses to Germany? Well, I'm going to. Hell yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I got I, we got glasses that have the Moss Gumbules and Opslide stickers. Everybody else can't see this, but you can. Like, So I got a oh. sticker. And then we put that logo on a glass, like the David size glass. So we're going to send them all to the guests and say like the thank you for being on. But uh, And that same thing, I have another dessert. I guess you would call it a dessert sour ale as well. So this is, yeah, it's uh, Evergreen again, who makes this series called Sorbetto. I think David drank one last podcast. This is number 17, but they're obviously, they're calling it, I guess, a play on uh, Pittsburgh, Yin's Beto. Yin's Beto. So the word, so Dan, in Pittsburgh, instead of saying you all or y'all, people in Pittsburgh say Yin's. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's it, pretty it, weird. It's yeah, pretty it's weird. super weird. As a transplant, you know, though I lived in Pittsburgh a, a good part of my life, I never understood it. And they say like, this is they, people in Pittsburgh have a weird accent at times. Like true Pitt, people in Pittsburgh have been here for like their whole lives, actually have like an accent, except for you. I don't know. You don't wash your car or I, I downtown. Don't. I grew up with that with sandwich. my dad, and I've I've had conversations with this with some of my uh, friends from out out of the state. Like they're like, "Hey, you don't have an accent." I'm like, "Yeah," because I heard what it was like growing up, and I I realized <laughs> I don't want to sound like that. But anyways, this is a sour ale, uh, number seventeen, Yin's Beto. It's sour ale with graham cracker, peach, blackberry, and cinnamon. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, I saw it and I was like, "That sounds great." And cinnamon, cinnamon, and beer is turning out to be a lot more uh, flavorful than I thought it was going to be. And this is one of my favorite glasses I've ever gotten. Uh, it's from the uh, former legends. This is the third glass they've put out, at least I've seen. Um, they're all sports related, but this one is a uh, Bo Nose beer, so a Bo Jackson. Uh, it's that when he That's had awesome. that baseball bat, and they put a, and obviously to get rid of copyright infringement, they just put a hop over his face, but it's like. <laughs> <laughs> it was legitimate you got a, a 1990 pack of uh baseball cards too that came with it uh, you didn't open the cards did you yeah of course i did i want no you did yeah was bo jackson you can't no, open those cards that. that was probably worth more clothes that's like a schrodinger's cat problem right no i'm not open <laughs> bo jackson might be in that box of, or that pack of cards until so you i got another it. one from one of the earlier ones the ken griffey year and i got a bo jackson card in it what what so uh, I've never had this one. I've had obviously a few other ones in this series, so I'm interested to see what this one tastes like. Here's your AS. What is that? AMSR. Oh, don't do that. You're gross. Can't do that. But I'm not going to mute myself either. You love it. Yeah, from the other podcast, I've heard that your mm. last game is, is really strong, and mm. um, I felt completely overpowered. So um, I look at that. Said, that's a nice tulip, though. I like that. Yeah. Yes. And it basically says Bonner Heimbrauer e.V., which means um, the association of uh, home brewers in my city. Oh, nice. And once a year, they basically have this event, which is close to the public. So you more or less have to be a member in there, or um, the members can bring a couple of people along. And he basically organized 
a bunch of um, tickets for us. And that's where I got this glass one. That is custom glassware, and I love it. Especially never, that, like, yeah. there, there's not a lot of designs like that in like the, uh, you know, printable, you know, the, the, the kind of shit that Kyle and I have. Like, no one seems to go to that style of glass. Is called I don't teak? know why. Teak or something? Uh, that doesn't have a long enough stem for that. Like, okay. Like the teku, teku? Yeah, yeah, teku. Now, that looks like a Belgian snifter or a tulip, like a small tulip. Like, it looks, oh, uh, I want one of those. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the quality glass game right there. Custom glassware. That is a, that's an epic win straight across the atlantic ocean this looks like a lot different than yours this one's like thick cherry i think they like call that blackberry a, a nordic oh oh i thought about glass style no yeah this is a this is nordica yeah 17 nordic ounce. tumbler which i'm sure they don't they probably call it something else in the nordic region probably <laughs> but anyways I, I met dan uh at geek week probably four years ago i've talked about geek week on the podcast i'm not gonna go down into it but Dan kind of works at like kind of a similar place to what we do in Germany, like or what I used to do, I guess. Uh, Bombshell used Bombshell. To Kyle got a new job. Talk more about it in the future. But uh, so you do a lot of malware reverse engineering. Do you want to talk about how you got in the field, Dan? Like I never actually know like how you got into like doing what you do. Yeah, sure. So um, I finished university in two thousand and nine, and I actually. The first application that I wrote was to Fraunhofer FKE, which is the organization that I work for, which is a large nonprofit research institution in Germany with uh, several institutes. And I never heard back from them. <laughs> so um, I, I went to my university professor and, and asked him because he basically said, uh, just just go there, write them an application and then see what happens. Um, and he said, yeah, that's rather unfortunate, but you can work for me. So I joined the University of Bonn at first. And what I've been doing prior to all of the malware stuff is actually um, wireless. So uh, I re-implemented a draft standard for 802.11, I forgot, probably S, uh, for meshing. What? That basically has routing somewhere between the uh, IP and TCP, or basically between layer uh, three, four. And that was my my diploma thesis. So, so I you were nothing. you were a forward engineer. Yeah, more or less. I don't know what what were you coding in, if I could ask. Uh, Java at the time, because it was um, not a real implementation of the stack itself, but a simulation of the stack. Because okay, the idea gotcha. was to have a bunch of nodes and then be able to um, parallelize the simulation of how the protocol would flow there. And um, in university, network security was my worst grade. And yet they, they had the idea, hey, that's a growing new field. Someone who is at least enthusiastic about it should start learning about it. And at the time, um, we had Tilman Werner and Felix Leder at our university. And what they had been doing there was attacking Configa. So a couple of years before, they basically, or basically they, had, they had a big fable for uh, P2P botnets. And they um, more or less sinkled or developed an attack against Storm. And at that time, Configure was more or less, or basically they, they were working on that. And they were starting something that's called the Malware Bootcamp. So they developed a one-week course for students in order to get um, on a, at that time, decent level in dynamic and static analysis. So it's, it's a hardcore crash course. Uh, during that week, you would be tasked with um, 
attacking IRC botnets by basically dissecting their protocol and then um, hijacking the channels more or less. And that's just basically this, this very, very dense task. So first day is more or less, this is malware. Second day is, this is how the BE file structure layout looks like. Third day is, um, now we teach you everything about assembly that you need to know. Yeah, good luck, right? <laughs> yeah. And then basically do static analysis using IDA. Then fourth day is um, now you learn debugging using Oli. And the fifth day is you need to be able to unpack stuff as well. So we do that now. And then basically... <laughs> See, that, this, this all sounds like the, uh, my, uh, the, the course that I co-teach at Carnegie Mellon is... Um, we we do that over a semester instead of five days. So <laughs> <laughs> everything you just described. Uh, did you is find that, that like it, is that? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just gonna ask. Like, did you find it to be like difficult, like trying to handle all of that within a five day period of time frame? Was there anything that kind of I don't know uh, got you like feeling stuck a little bit, like it was moving too fast? That's the whole idea of it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you completely want to overload people to, to a certain degree, but then always limit the aspects to whatever they need in order to achieve little successes with analysis. And I think if you steer this really well, you can definitely achieve that. And um, Tillman and Felix did a stellar job at that. And um, we have been running this course ever since. So it's basically running for 10 years in oh, wow. University of Bonn now. And we have refined it over time a lot. Oh, that's awesome. And after this this one initial week, basically the students are tasked to work on a topic that's related to Melvin and this for another typically four weeks on their own. And that's basically giving them the time to catch up on whatever they missed in the first week. And whenever they have, they have questions, they can ping us and we explain whatever they need. Because yeah, you're also this, looking for like self-starters too. Like you want you want somebody that's like able to, you know, oh, this was difficult and I didn't finish in, you know, the six hours I was given today in class. Like I'm going to take this home and like still work on it a little bit more, right? Because you, you're overloaded and you pre basically can't understand everything Yeah. sometimes, like right away. And what also really helps is you would typically have um, two of us teaching to no more than 10 people. So it's like really small group and... Um, Mentoring and works really well there, I guess. So of course, um, you, you will always have dropouts as well because um, I guess after three or four days, people will realize if this is something for them or not. Oh yeah, shit's hard too, man. That's, <laughs> <laughs> there's also that. I will say it doesn't take more than three or four days. I'm sure you lose people after like, here's Ida, now analyze. I don't know. Yeah, okay. So um, where did, where did, when you took this class, where were you like, what did I get myself into? Like, what point in the time of the week did you like, man, I'm deep, but I also like don't want to quit, obviously, because you didn't quit, right? And like, but like, where were oh, you I, like, man, you know? I think the static analysis was it the debugging? Static was, was static was fine. I think uh, switching to dynamic is um, where you get lost easily in the beginning because you want to look that. at everything, you don't know how to filter out and um, basically fast track through applications yet. And that's basically the, the point that you have to nail in teaching you. What we also have, we have basically demo applications that are tiny. So you can basically just um, do single stepping through individual mm -hmm. instructions and see what's really happening, what how are the registers changing and everything of that, doing a little bit of control flow and then slowly expanding and basically telling people use it only to focus on what you really want to understand and then guide yourself using breakpoints and those kinds of concepts. And I think we at least taught a couple of people well because that's also basically the primary venue where we get new people from because um, 
if you do that right, they, they get enthusiastic about it. They yep. want to learn more and they get completely hooked on reversing, which is the best thing ever. I would, I would agree. I, I would I would definitely echo that uh, off of Kyle's question where like, where, where did it feel difficult? And I remember the first time I took my class, like the first time I took a class in reverse engineering, I felt pretty comfortable like working. The whole, I didn't feel like overwhelmed until like it got to like the dynamic part. I'm like, I completely messed up setting up my debugger. Now I'm behind. I don't know like what thread I'm actually supposed to be executing in. Where where do I like I messed everything up? Like how do I watch the entire like how can I just see everything that happened? And then you try to scroll through like a one meg text file and you're like, oh boy, I messed up there. I don't know what I'm looking at. But but like if if you can get the students that are, I don't know, um, not even fluent, but just like interested. You just want them to like have an interest and be like, I want to solve a problem and I'm just really good at solving problems. And like, oh, this is awesome. I can totally do this. And then they'll work through it over and over again. And and you you can definitely see which students are uh, attuned. What's that? Attuned? I don't know. Are uh, into it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Interested. Interested, I guess. I would yeah. say interested. Yeah. You'll be able to pick those out or those students out. I think what's also very important there is um, that you have to take away the fear of the technical details because um, if they basically, it's not like using uh, losing your um, respect that you have towards those topics and problems, but at least um, basically tell them that they are totally approachable and you just have to keep hacking on it and it will, at most parts, suddenly uh, fall together and it will work. I guess yeah. this is a really, really great experience. So if they have this this experience, like at one point in the course, that can be a, a, a tremendous boost of motivation. See, this is where it sounds, it sounds like Dan's a good teacher, and he's not just like someone that's that's there to to show up and make money. Like he he's like generally concerned or like interested in the students learning. Right? You want somebody that's not just like throwing material at you, walking out after five days. And then collecting a paycheck, like you want to, you want to make sure that you're guiding correctly. So yeah, that, um, the main yeah. reason for that is um, that I think my time is too valuable to basically to pursue this kind of, of activity because it would be a waste. <laughs> yeah. so if I would basically, um, it's true. Yeah, limit myself to just earning money with this activity. It doesn't help anyone no, because um, this is a, a skill that definitely needs more people to carry out at least to some degree in order to um the end goal i guess obviously is you don't want uh, people to have to do that because whenever i think i um i'm thinking so much about automation and um, basically simplifying things so that um analysts with lesser knowledge can basically already carry out tasks that you would normally only be able with uh, lots of experience and the more people you have that can do that, the, the faster it will be for all of the others, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that, that brings up like, a solid point. Because there is a fear of getting into reverse engineering. There, I think there's a huge fear of it. Like, a huge, because... It's intimidating. I think it's one of those things, I, and I don't, you know, it's, I always get confused what they say, which one they say it is, but it's like, you know, learning the guitar versus learning the piano, like the entry to the, I think learning a guitar is easy, but to master the guitar is like hard, where the entry to like learning piano is hard and easy to master. It's like one of those things like reverse engineering. I don't know how you would put, I would say reverse engineering is really hard to get into, like not into, you know, but like, uh, yeah, into, but 
easy to master. And obviously you two are both reverse engineers and I am not at the core, but that's what it felt to me is that there's a huge steep hill to climb. But once you get there, you're kind of comfortable with everything. And there's going to be some nuances you don't know and things you're going to hopefully learn along the way. But that's how I always felt. Yeah, number one tip is always just like you have to learn quickly what to ignore. And that, <laughs> yes. at least from me, like you you can't get lost. There's a lot of details and you just can't get lost in the details. But right what if you don't know where to, you don't know what to ignore? Ex- right? Well, that's the thing. It's it's experience and time. At least at least from my perspective, it's just, you know, you the more time you spend doing it, the more time or the easier it is to pick out those patterns and like the things that you know that you can intuitively just disregard right away. Uh, I don't know if Dan has like a similar experience or anything yeah definitely i just had an interesting thought so um say you're already in cybersecurity for an extended period of time let's say a couple of years or something and you have mostly done analysis but not on a binary level uh, but you are certainly aware that there is something like reverse engineering that exists and um, you have heard so much about it and how hard it is and whatnot uh, now look at those students that basically never heard about anything around that topic maybe so they have they don't have the the same issue that they are basically questioning themselves already if they are capable of doing it they just start out doing it yeah that's a that's maybe a, that's that's a good thought. maybe maybe it is i don't know i don't i mean there is that bias yeah i mean if, if you're in the field long enough you know that there is a stigma that reverse engineering is hard like period like if you had, if, from my perspective as not a true reverse engineer is like it's hard and a lot of people are like, oh, man, I could do so much else in the field that are, that's also hard, but I can pick up a lot easier maybe or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just over here thinking about like like I I know I have students in, in our course that I don't know. They're either taking the, the RE course for like a certificate or they're just, you know, want to be better at it for, you know, the PPP CTFs that they do. Or, you know, does, does it really actually matter if they're here or not? But then there's some kids like definitely are there to learn. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's a good question to ask before the next semester starts here in February. Like, it, how, how do you feel? Like, I, I that would be a real interesting data point for like, what do you feel about like what you're trying to do? Like, what do you want to accomplish? Instead of just being like, hey, man, here's day one. Congratulations! Here's the syllabus. Uh, we're going to start talking about the laws and practical applications of reverse engineering. I don't know. Kind of, it kind of be a good good perspective um, for me as an instructor to at least kind of know what they're they're thinking and feeling about uh, before the class starts. Damn it, Dan! See what you did. Now, now I got to worry about now I got to worry about how they feel. <laughs> yeah, I'm a very benevolent. Uh, very benevolent. See, I'm, I'm two natty lights in already. Very benevolent. In my yeah, I I mean, try to be. Uh, Dan, you teach then too, like a segue, right? You teach now, right? Is correct. Um, I don't do lectures, but I'm supervising thesis, so I'm bachelor and master level, and that's basically also an interesting point. So, um, for for a long time, I basically was hoarding topics that I was interested in. (laughs) Because I thought, hey, if I have another weekend, I can. Throw a right. couple hours on it, and then probably something will come out. And I, I ultimately right. realized it makes much more sense to basically give them out to to certain people because it allows them to grow on those topics. And typically, the results will be the same. 
and then you can obviously still ingest the results and use it in yes. your day to day, right? Or and then you can easily because someone's already done the, the leg work, you can you know expand upon it in probably yeah. less time, right? And so that's actually a pretty solid. Idea. Do you ever feel like you have too many thoughts bouncing around and you can't like pick which one you want to start working on next? And then and then like you find it easier to just kind of farm out those ideas to your thesis students. Mm. it's not like i've i've um normally those ideas would not be sufficient to fill out a full thesis that's the issue so maybe a, a smaller lab topic or something i was gonna say but, can you sneak the, can you sneak like a portion of it and be like hey uh wouldn't it be cool if we could you know write a python script to i don't know <laughs> For for that we have student assistance. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Bless the TA. They're the best. Um, man, there was something I wanted to ask you and I don't remember what it was now. Uh it was about reversing. I don't know. The, the, the whole like, um the, the aspect of um, giving out those ideas is that um those people invest so much time thinking about it by themselves already that they fall in uh, they basically take all the pitfalls for you. <laughs> that's um, that's a typical thing. So when we talk about reverse engineering, uh, everyone only sees the results, and no one basically sees the path that led to those results. It's oh man, that ain't that ain't that the truth though? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you write documentation, and it's like, hey, oh man, can you explain to me fully how you came to this? Like, no, like I cannot do that. I can give you the shortcuts that got me from A to B, but I can't tell you that like all the rabbit holes I fell in to get to B, because there's no point. There's no point in telling you that like I don't know. I just reverse string copy for four hours before I realized it was string copy. <laughs> yeah, that's also amazing stories around us before. Oh, no, don't. <laughs> but I, I mean, that's with anything. It's like, you're like, how'd I get here? I got the answer. And you're like, when someone's like, oh, how'd you do that? Like when you do a CTFs, like I've been on a couple CTFs and I've solved a bunch of answers. And the group I was in was like, hey, can you like upload how you did it? And you're like, uh... <laughs> oh, even for crap at work, you've asked me about that. You're like, hey, can you write down your thought process for like how you reverse engineer a sample like this? I'm like, I can't. Like, there's, yeah. I can, I now can give I you like an outline. It's, yeah. it's freaking miserable. But I think that goes back to, I think, you know, I think it's a very applicable for analyzing anything. It's like figuring out, like, weeding out what the noise is so that you can get to the good stuff that you know is going to be valuable to your potential, you know, answer to That's your question pro tip number one for me is if if you can learn one thing from reverse engineering it's like what to not pay attention to there's a lot of noise when it comes to reverse engineering is that my correct in saying that mm -hmm. in a file there's a lot of noise that doesn't mean anything i guess in the grand scheme of yeah. well i guess it's also what your goal is right there's there could be multiple goals we're looking at the same piece of malware right yeah, but if you know how to get there quickly, like if it's in a, you know, you've, you've been looking at the same sample and like you know where the C2 is, right? So if you're looking for malware, a, a malware C2 callback and you know exactly where it is, like in through the V1 of the sample that you have. And then the next sample, just like you said, they add encryption layer on top of it. You can find out where that call is based on like not the C2 stuff before, right? So you could just get your way you, you can basically back into it and be like oh this must be the thing that does the stuff and then you know five minutes later you have an answer so you you, you do have to kind of know a little bit of the noise but like not all of it yeah if that makes any sense no it does it does i don't know so wait, <laughs> so so what what uh what do you do now dan 
uh, finished my PhD. <laughs> you a doctor? Oh, Dr. Dan? Not yet, not yet. Not oh, yet. geez. Oh, I did not know that. Congrats. Oh, man, I would have oh, called you doctor. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not yet. So. How, much, how much more candidate. time do you <laughs> Candidate, Dan. <laughs> how close uh, are you? I hope to finish within half a year, maybe. Oh, nice. So the thing is, I'm already in the last chapter of my, my core. So I have about three chapters there. And in the last third of the last chapter. So maybe the last less than 10% of things that have to be done. And I just now realized that um, typically when I'm interested in things, they might explode in complexity. <laughs> One of those so there guys, might be huh? some, some interesting things that I might stumble into. Um, and we'll see. So basically, um, so let's maybe now open the can of Melpedia, I guess. Because it's, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, this is mostly revolving around it. So um, the whole first chapter was basically describing the idea and how to start it and how to um, create that kind of corpus. Can can you back up real fast and explain Malpedia? Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. So um, having done map analysis and reversing for an extended amount of time, I was incredibly frustrated with the accessibility to malware itself. So if you want to research it, uh, you don't know where to find samples, except you could download tremendous dumps of unlabeled files. That does not really help you if you, <laughs> you want you to. Don't, you don't like doing that? You don't just like grabbing a torrent and hoping that uh, what you're looking for is in there? Yeah, you could, but then I have to spend a crazy amount of time to figure out how many of those finds are actually duplicates, right? So, um, yes. <laughs> so when we were looking at a couple of botnets, um, that was still in the area of um, construction kits. So basically, you would have um, some guy that sells a builder, and um, his 100 clients will all use the same stuff. So basically, from a binary level perspective, all of those are clones, despite um, having different configurations, maybe. Um, but if you're looking in, in variants, well, that's one file. And you could be faced with, I don't know how many 10,000 of samples that have been encrypted differently. But there's not new stuff uh -huh. to look at. So um, this whole deduplication aspect hit me the first time when I was looking at the um, Anchor Citadel in depth. Uh, with, we cooperated a lot with um, the Shadow Cyber Foundation on that, for example. And um, I think we've identified more than 120,000 samples for Citadel. But even now, I know of only 21 versions of Citadel. And that was basically the, the bootstrap idea of, of Mapedia. If you would now go ahead and identify those versions cleanly, be it um, with the version number that's given in the malware by the author itself, or by versioning um, through compilation timestamps, which is incredibly reliable if you closely track that, actually, um, then you end up with way less files that are still massively representable, at least for the um, families that you potentially want to look at. So, are are you, so you're looking at this a different way than like just like section hashing or, I don't know, like how how do you kind of, how do you kind of fire that down faster and kind of get through your your, I would say corpus. Yeah. So, in order to um, like what? Well, I guess I guess the question is like what techniques are you using that's different than, I don't know. I guess I guess section hashing is is just like a start or like a you know a, a jump point. Uh, yeah, so I guess ultimately it comes down to um, that you have to be able to identify the families that you want to look at. Because let's 
the the beginning um you again are faced with files that you know not a lot about basically and the easiest way to start identifying them is sadly unpacking them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you, um, we basically for a long time took the approach of dynamic in, in that regard so even if you run them for maybe 30 to 60 seconds um you can if you then run yara against whatever memory that's basically sitting in all the processes you will find likely your family set you're looking for maybe hopefully because um in, in many cases there will be read write and executable which is a rare occasion for legitimate programs at least and you dump out all of these and then look basically is it known to me or not and if it's known to me i can probably stick it in the same family or better yet if it's a duplicate to what i already have so be it um as i said by deversioning that's within the malware itself or um even funny enough, for dumps, you will sometimes end up with identical file hashes. Oh, yeah. Because the, the VM oh, yeah. snapshot is always the same. Yep. Um, or otherwise, other simple similarity hashing stuff and DPE timestamp as well, you are able to throw away a lot of stuff. And that's why Malpedia is it's a tiny corpus in that sense. So it's, I think, only like 5,000 files. So you're intentionally uh, trying to exclude. Absolutely. Files. At least from okay. a from a research perspective, you, I guess, at least for me, it's fine to settle with uh, having a single representative for a, for a family inversion oh, instead of having tons of duplicates. I think that people appreciate what Virus Total is, but people also don't like what Virus Total is because you, know, you don't I'm, know what you're getting in Virus Total. You, do, you don't know what you're getting. And every it's everything, man. It's, I mean, Malpedia is so exactly what it is. When you go look for like even the unpaid, you know, on account version, right? You still get some insight to what uh, you're looking at, right? This, so, fun fact: there's there's no way to pay for it because it's free. <laughs> so, right, how, but I mean, if how, you don't have an account, right? If someone doesn't do have an account, yeah, yeah. How do you get an account on Malpedia if you don't have one? Um, my main idea of having accounts at all was basically that, that I want to not have people download files and impact themselves. So um, it's basically mostly from a protection point of view. And otherwise, um, that there was no platform except mailing this and the like where you could share, um, let's say, some kind of privileged information like uh, TLP, Yara rules, or, uh -huh. or even samples and stuff. So it serves both to uh, protect random people just coming there clicking stuff. <laughs> Uh, but also shuts out at least to some degree the bad guys. So it's basically having a, a, a vouching system so people can invite other people. Okay. Um, but I think I've never ever rejected anyone that's uh, provably working in the industry or yeah, well, yeah, even in research. And whatnot. So that's the other thing. Like if, if there's a drive-by and like I all of a sudden get a, a DM on Twitter that says, hey, man, I heard you got Malpedia accounts. Like I don't know who it is. I'm not going to give them like the vouch because I don't know who it is. But if it's like a friend of Kyle's, mm -hmm. obviously Kyle's going to, you know, vouch for said person. So and you have that kind I had of a vouch for you. You, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you vouched for me. Only because <laughs> I this, asked me to. It was Joker. Yeah, see, it wasn't because I wanted to. It was because someone told me I had to. Yep, it's because someone told me I had to. That's sad. <laughs> so so you have you said you have like 5,000 unique samples out in... 1,900 families. 1,900 families. Oh, that, that's, a, that's pretty good. That's a, how what often, do you... I'm sorry, how often do you have like a unique sample come in? Like once they're released from... Like public reporting or 
Um, Do you try to track so any of that? This would not work if it were not a community effort. Oh, yeah. So we have people that basically contribute pre-identified samples or even propose adding new families. Um, that's the thing as well. So you can we don't have any families where we do not have samples for. So basically, every family that's listed there basically has a reference sample as well, which makes it sometimes kind of hard because you will have reporting that includes non-public samples. And in those cases, I cannot basically give a reference for the family. Uh, but otherwise, um, the quality of submissions is, is really high. So I think we have a very low rejection rate as well. And because otherwise, I would be hunting samples all day long. And uh, that's also not my purpose in life. No, especially if the, the sample hashes are in a JPEG or a PNG file and you have to try to reconcile yeah. long, long, long letters with what comes out of your image. I'm sorry, Kyle, I've stepped on you like a couple of times. I just kind of want to shut my mic off and let you talk. No, no, I, you're asking all the questions I'm going to ask anyways. Or, or it really is, oh, okay. So a real weighted question, Dan, because uh, I like know that it's difficult. Like, how do you make the families in Malpedia? Like, what do you define as a family? <laughs> yeah, that's complicated. Um, it's complicated for everybody. There's no right answer, but I just want to know how. Clearly, look at the Dan, threat landscape from every fucking, you know, company we have 1900 out there families, to, right? There's, who reconciles this? Nobody. Actually, I think um, because it's my thesis, I must have written a formal definition for that, right? Mm. Sure, I would hope so. I could look it up, or I could try to Did record you? it now. Yeah. Can I can I have it for my my class? Because I I think I spent twenty minutes railing on how disparate everything was as of you know twenty nineteen at the very least. So if you have any sort of definition, I would love to use it next year. Yeah, I think it probably goes along the lines that we consider it from a source code perspective. So um, basically, if the program is compiled from the same source code base that's um, maintained by a certain author, then it's likely one family. That means whenever source code gets leaked and some other author takes over that family and does his fork, that's another family in that sense. Okay. Because that's especially what we had to do for addressing Zeus because this, I think uh, Dennis Schwartz looked at that and he has like 40 plus families that are just Zeus offsprings. <laughs> and we, we try to incorporate them. Yeah, and you have... Uh, Obviously, drastic code overlap, even if you look at them so, from a Binder perspective. So you did try to family-tie Zeus, or you just call like everything under that umbrella Zeus? and just No, no, no. We uh, actually split them up. Kyle's gone. Kyle just left. <laughs> like, he just <laughs> walked off. I'm sorry. Kyle, Kyle is gone. No, there's very good reasons even to do that. Um, and I'm here. It's even interesting if you um, look at the original author of Zeus, and um, he used his code base to develop different pro uh, projects from there. Mm -hmm. So you had uh, Zeus, then you had Morofat, and then you had um, Game Over. Oh, yeah. And oh, basically, yeah. you can track the line of development of the code base through these things. There's a website, and I'm just trying to think of it, that actually has like all the repos for malware or like they have uh aggregated a bunch of source code for malware and i can't think of what it is well know. there's do, do you the, point the only, from there besides malpedia the only other website that i know is like has a corpus of at least names is that google docs that exists out there that's, oh not that one it's yeah, actually like source code of malware for source code is uh, i think vx underground is collecting lately a lot of stuff that might be it and yeah. the zoo mostly has 
some families, but also source code. But I'm not sure how much source code they actually have. But um, I mean, the usual case is you don't have source code at all anyway. So you have to right. assume that it's the same one because um, well, the you have a lot of functions that basically one-to-one -one matches, and it's unlikely that you produce them unless they originate from the same source code. That's also like a, a, a good point for tying back to reverse engineering it's where it's it's not just reading source code like that reversing is not <laughs> comparing one to one and being like oh yeah i totally read that in a decompiled thing and it matches up with the uh four functions i read here in the source code like that's not these two things are not equivalent like there's a lot more work that goes into it other than like pushing tab or whatever it is in ghidra i don't know or whatever and then being like oh yeah i read i totally read that source code and that's the answer and you're like no 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 are you not obliged to finish your glass now? Because I've been uh, hearing the episode with uh, Sergey earlier. Oh, that was a good one. I love Sergey. He was. Sergei I, I want him great. to come. But I want him to come back on. Did when, you listen? Whenever, to, did you watch yeah, his videos ever? Yeah, I did. Um, but whenever someone says the dragon name, you have to empty your glass or something. It wasn't. Oh. <laughs> I think that episode contains something like that. You know what? I'll. Uh... This is an Oktoberfest, so I finished my first beer uh, since you know the internet can't see what I'm doing. I actually finished my first beer, and the second thing that I opened was a local beer, Oktoberfest. It's the last one I have, and I really liked it. It's from Rivertown. And uh, I'll, I'll, my throw this, drink. I'll throw this back because I think Dan had an <laughs> awesome callback. I don't ever expect to happen again. So enjoy me chugging this beer off, uh, off mic. Got a shock on it. There he goes. Wow. Call that a chug. Whoa. Someone's been practicing. Applause. You're going to have a nice night. <laughs> I haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, Do you guys ever play Beer Bat, by the way? What's beer that? Bat. I don't oh, know beer what Beer Bat, bat is. So, so um, I think it's, uh, it's honestly the last time I chugged a beer. Was So you take a wiffle ball bat. You take a wiffle ball back and you lop the lop the uh, the handle part off it. Oh, you see, I can't talk. You take you take the handle and you cut it off and you dump a beer inside. One yeah. whole beer, one can of one can of beer. Yeah. You drink it out of the out of the bat. Put the bat down and you spin around it uh, x number of times, probably like five or ten. It's probably ten. And then uh, you stand it like a home plate, and someone throws the can to you. And if you hit the can, you you basically win. But if you miss the can, you lose. <laughs> but but really, what no one tells you is that you lose no matter what. <laughs> I once let go of the bat and I hit my friend in the bridge of the nose the <laughs> night before, the night before a wedding. <laughs> one of the groomsmen just I clobbered him right across the bridge of the nose, and he had a, a cut like a real big cut and a black eye. Um, for the wedding pictures, way to go. For the wedding pictures, yeah. So, yeah, that's Beer Bat. Uh, that was, I think, literally the last time I chugged a beer. So thanks thanks for calling me out, Dan. And now I'm out of beer. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> one, thing, one thing I did want to, to, to touch on. So um, you talked about real fast um, in the COVID days here, the COVID <laughs> days, COVID uh, days. Uh, having hobbies. So you're, you're out there brewing beer. Are you doing anything else? Yes. So um, I've been, it's my first season of being a chili farmer. So um, my oh, office oh, mate basically had the great idea that we should uh, start planting chilies. And Ch the, chilies. Yes. With the pepper, right? Yeah, chili peppers. And is your, is your climate okay for that in Germany? I don't know anything about Germany. I've that was the whole experiment. 
Oh, that was the so, experiment. Um, oh, that's he awesome. He said um, that they did it at home and they had success in, in past seasons. So we basically tried how far we could get with that. And um, he organized a bunch of seeds and we started planting, I think, eight to ten little plants and try to, to bring them out. Because um, obviously it's not that warm here. Um, we only started in March or something with that. And we have started harvesting now. Oh, so, wow. um, what we did is huh. more or less we, we brought the plants to our office. So they are currently at work. And um, we, are, we are doing remote work now. We are working from home mostly, but I'm yeah. doing my, my once a week trip to the office uh, to water those. Oh, that's plants. awesome. So, so they're indoors. Do you have like fluorescent lights or like hydroponic like growth? Like how do you, how do you indoor grow a chili? Um, you need just a south-facing window. <laughs> really? That's it? Yeah, it works at least. And um, maybe something Wait. that benefits is our well, room temperature. Te uh, room temperature is pretty uh, high because one of the boxes that are in the office is doing a lot of calculations for me. <laughs> so that's uh, find the me. optimal growing temperature <laughs> for chili peppers. That sounds like yes. a PhD thesis. It's, it's one Germany. aspect of it, at least. <laughs> I mean, that's that's super specific. I mean, you can uh, definitely see the uniqueness, at, at least, like in Germany at this climate. Well, I mean, I'll take those results because my wife grows everything, and this year her peppers didn't do so well. What what kind of peppers are you growing? Just chilies? Like, are there different like types of chilies? Yes. Like so we have one Anaheim. We have a bird's eye. We have to Thai Dragon, and we have one Chili Reaper. And even the oh. Chili Reaper brought up two fruits, and we are just waiting for them to basically become harvestable. What, what are you going to do with a, with, with a, a Reaper? Do you I have no idea. <laughs> so my, do my, you like spicy food? Let's yeah, in, gen in general, yes, but that's way beyond spicy, right? So my colleague said we should do hot sauce with it, because otherwise they are more or less unusable. <laughs> Yeah. Pretty much, like so. Like I they have so. like the the one Reaper potato chip challenge. You seen that on the internet? Like you just I don't know, they you make a one. dust out of it. You buy one fucking potato chip, and then it turns into you know turns into a thing. And my colleague said you have to handle them with um, gloves on because normally they are so spicy even on the outside that you should not touch oh, yourself boy. afterwards. And um, we all know what happens if you eat spicy food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Set thing seven. Wear gloves. Chipotle away. Yes, wear gloves. Always wear gloves. Wear, always wear gloves. So chili, chili farming. That's yeah. So you, I, I've seen a lot of twittering about people that have done sourdough starters and like decided to work on themselves professionally or or you know mentally. And here you are growing chilies in Germany. Yeah, I mean sourdough is another topic, right? Hey. So um, being from Germany, you cannot not do sourdough during these times because uh, we had um i think in march and april basically it was hard to buy flour it was hard to buy oh yeast. yeah yeast you couldn't get yeast here, it was man. crazy yeah here it was uh toilet paper <laughs> it's still <laughs> toilet paper yeah <laughs> it's toilet paper it's coming back hey do you um are, do you have any intent on like dropping those chilies in like a beer you ever drink it like think about spice beers um i had a chance to taste them on the beer festivals in the Netherlands, um, but I'm not super into that. So it's it's interesting, uh, but it's I guess it's the same story than uh, combining beer with whiskey. So it's also a big thing, I guess, and it's 
also not my, my oh you don't like barrel age. you don't like barrel age like stouts or, or no like it's, it's it's not really my thing so um oh, man, i would not so go good. for a for barrel aged beer if i can have a barrel aged whiskey so See, I was thinking he was like dropping like shots into a into a dunkel or something, and then just chugging it, and it's it's actually like aging the beer in a barrel. So I'm <laughs> I'm about ready to check out here. Things are going well for me. I have one more question. Well, not one more question. <laughs> I have one more statement. So the 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 time that Dan, I'm sorry, I just hit my mute button. So the time that I met Dan was at Geek Week four years ago, and That's Kyle right. Kyle reminded me of this as uh we introduced reintroduced ourselves on on the the meeting here was that dan i remember 100 was telling me like about haribo sugar-free gummy bears because he lives near the factory out in germany and and i don't know can you can you just uh jump on that real fast so i'm not 100 sure that i was talking about the sugar-free ones oh um, <laughs> uh, but do you the, know the sugar-free story with the gummy bear? He has to. I'm pretty sure Dan told me about it. He said he doesn't know. I could it. be wrong. Do you know what happens if you eat sugar-free gummy bears? They're basically a laxative. Ah, okay. So they're, so I think someone was handing them out at Geek Week. I'm yeah, pretty yeah, sure yeah, they, were. they were. Like, they were like, packages. hey, listen, if you, if you want a good laugh, go to Amazon and look at the Amazon reviews for Haribo oh, wow. sugar-free gummy bears. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's definitely not my thing geeky. anyway because uh, I, I wasn't even aware that they are sugar-free ones. But you you live near a gummy bear factory. Yeah, you're saying also. That's, that, yeah, that because I can smell like? it. Yeah, what, so what it depends on like? it depends on the production day. So um, some days you can definitely smell that they're doing stuff with licorice. So that's something that you definitely like uh, anise. Um, like you can smell anise. Yeah. Uh, and then you can basically guess what kind of, of things that they might be producing if they are doing the colorado packages right now what's or, a colorado package oh that's a very famous uh type of the haribos that's the uh is it like just for christmas one. only or something no or not at it? all that's um a mix of normal uh gummy bears and stuff that's with licorice it's a, basically a, a bit of everything box do they put liquor in the the honey uh, the Harry Bow gummy bears? Have you ever seen like a liquor a liquor bear? No. Hmm. I think they're missing out. They should get some vodka gummy bears. Maybe you can find them in in Finland or something. Oh, fucking Finland! <laughs> What's it like to be able to just like hop on an airplane and go to the Netherlands? I would take the train. <laughs> oh, see, yeah. look at this. I was I was even. Do wrong. you know where things are located in Europe? This guy. Yeah. This guy I'm just so hops close on the, the train. It's, it's like three hours with a train. Really? Anyway, yeah. What's the, man? What's that like to just? I don't know. Go to a different country on a train. We could stop at a border language. here, and then so and, I would say <laughs> it's pretty convenient. Oh man! But yeah. uh, same for France, and we we did that um, for our last vacations. Even we uh, went to uh, even to England with the train. That's crazy. Have you, have you ever? How did you get to ask? Basically, no, I, from from us, you get to Paris, and then you will go to London. That's awesome. And you have to go through a tunnel up because there's water, obviously. <laughs> have you ever visited the uh, working address of um, Hex Rays in Belgium? No, I did not. <laughs> I want to know how palatial this thing looks. I'm guessing it's like a castle. He's got <laughs> so much money that he's just 
or it's like just not anything. It's like a PO box. <laughs> it's a PO box, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, fuck has so much money. It could probably just so, uh, go there with uh, Google. No, Street View. Oh, I guess true. you could. It's the not internet? the same. I want to hear. No, 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 I don't. I don't want to spoil anything for myself. I want. If I, you want someone else to tell you and spoil yeah, it. Yeah, someone else to tell me what's like. Hey, uh, w- one last thing for me, and then I'm done. <laughs> I swear, <laughs> Kyle's laughing. Um, what's your What's your reverse engineer uh, platform of choice in uh, 2020? I don't. You still an Ida guy? You don't. Yeah, you, you haven't been swayed by Ghidra by the by the dragon. I'm out of drinks, so I can't do this. Anymore. Yeah, that's fair enough. Do so, it for um, me. My or a binary ninja. We had the binary ninja guys I wanna, on. Yeah, I want to get back. I want to get into binary ninja, man. I want to. I want to check this out. Have you so, used it? I mean, you're a Python guy, Dan. I think, right? Like, don't you yeah. have API? Like, that's what so, they're big on. I've been using Ida forever. Um, I had a look at binary ninja when it came out, and I like the UI a lot because it's very fluid and everything. Um, but the main issue that I had was basically if you, because I'm mostly working with memory dumps. And you load a memory dump into Binary Ninja, nothing happens. At least That's at the true. time when I looked at it, at, at that time, you basically had to define every function entry point by yourself. Oh, no. Yes. Well, you, you couldn't even do like the, the entry point of the binary like, of the dump and then be like, go from here. Yeah, the, the primary issue with all tools is that if you load a mem- uh, something as a memory dump, they basically, you can either say, you give it the memory dump and they say, hey, here's a PE header. I have to map it. And you have to map it twice and everything is fucked. Right. <laughs> or you, you load it as raw binary data and the tool doesn't know what to do at all. <laughs> oh, my God. And back he is. Yeah. So that's a very, very common issue there. And I didn't even think of that. Ghidra has worse function entry point detection and memory dumps as well. And Ida performs best from my point of view. But yeah, you could you could script it and the, the the function thing, right? You could just be like, listen, I know this is a you know. That's why I wrote my own disassembly, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there it is. So yes, I took uh, Capstone and PhD guys. They wrote so my own recursive uh, disassembler, basically with um, some heuristics to find function entry points. I mean, I mean, binary ninja is not telling us to do this, but maybe look at it again. It sounds like they've added a lot of new features in their newest release. Yeah, colleagues of mine are using it intensely, especially because of the different um, intermediate level representations, which are super useful if you're uh, scripting data flow stuff on top of it. That's what uh, Peter was going down the rabbit holes about. That was a good talk. I yeah, those guys. Those are good guys. I mean, look at this again. We made it like uh, over an hour again, as per usual. Uh, easy. It's an easy hour. It's an easy time. hour. Easy hour. Dan, how how can people get a hold of you? Like, if they want to reach out to you. Are you on you the can Twitters? say no. You can also be like, I you don't could also know, like, or just find me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Twitter is the easiest. Um, I go by push underscore pnx. Oh, because um, I had to add something in, in the front of it because obviously free letter acronyms on, on Twitter would be rather expensive. And I was uh, years too late for that. So it's a uh, push underscore PNX. I love that. And that's a show notes. I'll also add Malpedia to the show notes too. And people that are interested could reach out and, or vouch, get some of the Yeah, if you them. need a vouch, uh, don't come to me. 
One million dollars. I see. Hold on a second. I'm looking up uh, his uh, Dan here on on Twitter. He actually tweeted at Vector Thirty Five two years ago, two and a half years ago, about like uh, fire file buffer load start offsets. So you you're familiar with uh, the the Benji guys. You you've been in the game, man. You're you're out there trying it. You're not just using whatever tool is is given no, I, to you I by the uh, United say... States government. I, I tried doing that by deriving their um, function detection base class, whatnot, in order to script this thing on top. So the mice is that what was um, going on? Yeah, yeah, something around that. And it was uh, super hard. Um, you would have to do reflection in Python and whatnot in order to to make that happen. And I said, ah, maybe I stay with there. Python. You go. This is just what you said about analyzing memory dumps is almost impossible. Like that is exactly. <laughs> You called this, this out why he two wrote and a half his years own. ago. There's like I've had enough of trying to use someone else's tools. I love that. That's the best way to do it. I have it. nothing else to say. This that's the best. It was a nice hour, uh, hour <laughs> whatever we did. I, I love talking to people, especially not from America. <laughs> Where you can learn all about your German myths that are no They're longer myths. I want to go to uh, Oktoberfest. If I ever come, can I look you up and uh, can we hang yeah, out? Yeah, I That's might cool. even uh, take this as an occasion to to go there. I want to go there as soon as possible. I'm, I feel like I'm getting too old to enjoy Oktoberfest. So you also told me to go to a BotConf, which is not in Germany, but oh, it's in yeah. France. Yeah, right? that's France, definitely. Um, that's the I'd say even primary venue for everything malware and botnets in Europe. Except for some of the first events, or if you have first, yeah, other events that are circling around the world. Uh, but BotConf in, in France is awesome. So, did you ever do BrewCon? Never been. Also, never Hack in the Box in Amsterdam. But I can also recommend HackLoo in Luxembourg. Yeah, which is also Hack a great also, conference. Yeah. I've heard that it's a really good one too. Well, hopefully, we'll be able to do these again in the future. I know I wanted to go to BotConf. I was trying to go 2018, I think. I'm trying to get when we're you know uh vaccinated and getting shot with 5g rays that activate you know some sort of mythical nanoparticle inside of the vaccine we'll be right. good to go you'll be able you'll be able to teleport so. a superhuman. <laughs> i can't wait to come uh to europe again i haven't been to europe for about you know 10 years now i think but whoa get out some yeah well you know what dude like that's that shit ain't cheap when you got kids don't have that problem i know chicken man but seriously uh you know next time you come either you know, whatever happens first uh i'd love to hang out and do this in person yes. somewhere drinking drinking like awesome belgian beers or german beers because we don't get real ones here so i would like to like set up something in the future like be able to like whatever good conference like get some like nook in some conference venue for like super cheap and just like have guests that are like previous guests that we've had in mm -hmm. and people ah. and just like hang out is, is there <laughs> one that's on your list dan to go to go back to in 2021 yeah what, what conference you're... you missing the most um, or any you're trying to get to you you were looking forward to in 2020 it got canceled either one i think there's mostly free conferences that i like really really a lot which is botcom that was just botcom. mentioned um, but yeah. which is going online and will happen December this year again. Um, then there's Geek Week because I uh, like coming to Canada for a couple of years now. 
And I guess, which is also nice, is uh, Microsoft DCC. So that's Digital a, Crimes Consortium. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. A, that's an invite-only conference, though, too, right? Like, you have yeah. to know someone that knows someone that vouches for your vouch. The vouch to vouch for you to get a ticket to the conference. Hey, in your new job, can you come to uh, Geek Week again, or are you not allowed to come now? Yeah, I asked. I okay. Well, well if I if I if, I mean, Fred gave me the okay. To well, like, Fred gave you the okay, but did your boss give you the okay? Well, I don't know. That's a, a future. But when you have unlimited PTO, if I have to take PTO, I'm just going to come anyways because like, I appreciate for future Kyle. That's future Kyle to figure out. <laughs> Fisher Kyle to figure out. So if it's not so if it's not Geek Week, I hope to find Dan somewhere um in Europe in twenty twenty one. Transatlantic. It's it's gonna happen. I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of my house. (laughs) He's David's losing his mind. Absolutely. I love love everything in my life, but I just you know, I need a break sometimes. Break up as well. Well Dan, thanks again, especially for jumping on late at night. I know it's late your time, but you have a weekend ahead of you. Hopefully you're not doing much to your PhD and hopefully you uh, enjoy your weekend. But thanks for having you. Uh, thanks for coming on and it's great to have you and catch up since we were, we're on the same team this year at Geek Week and couldn't see each other in person. Chug a boot for me. <laughs> I do, but uh, at the next best location. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great to be uh, around with you guys. Also having a lovely, lovely drink in this format. This not so much this time. Yeah, yeah, that's thanks, right. Man. I'm I'm glad uh you know if you ever want to have a drink with us, like just you know, send an email. We're we're always thirsty. Always thirsty. And as like we like to close out, uh <laughs> everybody stay thirsty. Cheers. <laughs>